Thank you. Thank you so much, Debbie. Yeah, just we'll put it right back here. Okay. I want you to know that um, <clears throat> one of the things that we, uh, you know, what we're all about in our church is helping us become better disciples. <clears throat> sorry. I know when you've got a mic and you've got a cough, it's hard to reach around there. Anyway, sorry about that. But I just want to uh, say that when you deal with somebody like, like, like Debbie, you think, well, Debbie serves so much and she's known Jesus for so long and how to, how to see, um, you know, where, what could possibly could Debbie do to grow? you know, as, as, as a leader and disciple, and her getting up here, I want you to know, for that was a growth thing for her, so that was a, <clears throat> we never expected Debbie to do that, and she did it, and a great job, Debbie, I know she's gone, and she's gone over to Kidsville to serve again, all right, so she's over there for our nursery today, but I just want to uh, thank her for that. Guys, I also want to say, too, our, 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 our pastor search team, <clears throat> I am so impressed with them. Guys, you've done a great choice for your pastor search team, um, Really, what a candidate we're looking at that, that, that withdrew, his, withdrew his own name for, for reasons uh, that, that deal with him only, um, you know, and I thought, oh, they'd be so depressed and stuff. They all came with the attitude of like, <clears throat> well, that's not what we wanted, but you know what we did want? We wanted God's guidance and we feel like God's given us guidance. And so now we just know that's, that wasn't the person and God's narrowing us down to the person we have. So these guys are working on it. And it's not like, guys, it's not like, you know, having a hiring fair. We couldn't just, you know... Um, we're not, we're not hiring somebody to work at McDonald's. We're not even hiring a store manager that you go and train and that kind of stuff. We don't want somebody who has to train. So, so it is. So we are looking through this, and your team is working very hard. And, uh, and I just want to say, I just encourage you to give thanks to them and to God for them, okay? So say it, give it for your pastor's search team and for God that's put together a great team of people who are doing that. Now, the reason I say that, that actually leads into what we're going to talk about today. I planned this sermon a couple of weeks ago, but I did not realize how well it would fit with where we are right now. Because <clears throat> it would be easy for the pastor search team to feel frustrated. But as I said, they are not. But I want to remind you that church work, in fact, anytime we're participating in God's mission, we do get a sense of frustration. So that's why I call today's message God's Provision in Frustration. So that's what I got. So um, I don't know how much you guys feel like this guy right here. But I know that, that many times in the pastor search team, we feel like that once in a while. So what does God do? So how does God provide for us through frustration? Well, we're going to continue in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. Uh, if you've, uh, it, it'll be on the screens here. Uh, if you've got your Bible on your phone, it's Acts chapter 18. Or if you want to use our little pew Bibles, uh, pew Bible, chair Bible, that doesn't sound right to me. I guess growing up in church, chair Bibles, there, they're right there. So we're picking it back at Acts. Acts chapter 18, we'll go, through, we'll go through verses 1 to 17. And uh, if you're using your own Bible, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible just because it's the one we typically use at our church. So, um, so, Paul, uh, so Luke is writing about Paul, and he says, After this, he, being Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and, and, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Greeks, Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted, the Jews resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And if you're confused with some of these terms, we'll explain some of them as we get on further through the message. 
So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, who was a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Do not be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you. No one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there for a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's the area, it'd be like we live in Fresno in the state of California, so they were in Corinth in the state of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or of a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you, you Jews. <clears throat> but these are questions about words, names, and your own law. See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from that tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, <clears throat> and beat him in front of the tribunal, but none of these things mattered to Gallio. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, it simply asks for clarity of mind and clarity of thought. And Father, as you read the words that your Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write, help us to understand how what you did in the life of Paul and the Corinthians so many years ago can apply to us today. And Father, help us to learn to see your provision and trust you for your provision, no matter what is happening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've done before, since we've got, uh, and I think, guess if you're here today, we've been kind of off and on through Acts. Uh, we sort of dip in and out of Acts as we look through how God has expanded the mission from just a little band of believers in Jerusalem throughout the whole world. So previously in the book of Acts, we're going to look at what's happening here, all right? So... Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey, and it's been a mixed blessing. That's good. He's had, so he's had this missionary journey. It's been good. But it started off with an argument between Paul and his mentor, Barnabas. That was bad. But he finds a new post, uh, partner in Silas, and along the way they pick up a, a new protege, Timothy. That's good. But they experience roadblocks as they travel through parts of Asia Minor. That's bad. They couldn't go where they wanted to go. But they get a message from God to go to Europe, and they pick up Luke. And that's good, because Luke wrote the scripture here. Then things just go bad. They're asked to, so they go to Philippi, they get beaten, imprisoned, and asked to leave. And we've got a little, can we go to, go to the map here real quick, all right? Show you where they are there. So that's where they were in Troas, so keep going there. Let's just jump on. So they go to Philippi, there we go, letting you see where that was there. So they go to Philippi, they get imprisoned, they get beaten, and they're asked to leave. That was bad. So they go to Thessalonica, the next town. And there they get threatened, and they get ordered to leave, and they lose Luke. Luke drops out of the, of the picture for a little bit. Well, that's bad. Now, Paul wants to go on to Rome, way over to the side, but he's unable to do that because the emperor kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Well, that's bad. But so they go to Berea, and there in Berea, they're forced to leave, and Paul has to abandon the rest of his team. That's bad. So Paul goes alone to Athens. And there in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, he gets ridiculed. Well, that's bad. In today's passage, 
Paul goes to Corinth, and he must feel exhausted, lonely, disappointed, and frustrated. I mean, look at all the bad things that happen. Paul has to feel like, I have been a failure. And I tell you, I'm with it because I felt like a failure many times. In fact, when the, when the person withdrew his name, it was a guy I actually knew, and I felt like a failure. I'm like, I don't want to go before the pastor search team and say, okay, this guy who sent me his resume that you guys were looking at decided he didn't want to come, and I felt like a failure at that point. I'll admit it. Now, how do we know that Paul must have felt exhausted, lonely, disappointed, and frustrated? Well, because Paul tells us. He wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech and wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Sometimes God has to let us get frustrated, exhausted, tired, lonely, so that we can quit trying to control things ourselves and let the Spirit work through. So Paul goes to Corinth, and he just felt beat up by what had happened in Athens, in Berea, and in Thessalonica, and even in Philippi. But fortunately, God comes through in this passage. And Paul provides, and sorry, Paul provides, God provides Paul with help, with hope, and with a harvest in Corinth. So let's look at that. So how are some ways that God provides? First, we're going to see that God provided for Paul through friends. So Paul is all alone in Corinth. He's been alone in Athens. He's alone in Corinth. And now Athens was a little town of about 10,000 people. Corinth was almost 10 times that size at almost 100,000 people. Now we may say, that's pretty small. That's only, what, a tenth of the, well, a fifth of the size of Fresno. But back then, that was a pretty good-sized city. And Corinth was actually a pretty sophisticated city. It was, one of the, it was probably the largest commercial city in the whole area. In fact, they, had, they controlled some of the shipping lanes. So let's look at this map here real quick. You see that little white line right there? That's the Isthmus of Corinth right there. So that's the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And so that little part right there, see how small? That's only about four miles wide, the canal they had to do there. Because they didn't do that, hit the next slide real quick and let's take a look. And you'll see that if they didn't go over that thing there, they had to go all the way around this way. And those were treacherous waters. So a lot of times, ships would unload their cargo at Corinth and they would haul them over land to the other side where another ship would pick it up. They even, with smaller ships, now again, they didn't have big, you know, like tankers like we have today. So sometimes they would take the entire ship and roll it on logs. Like you've seen pictures of how we think they, they moved the blocks for the pyramids, that kind of thing. And they would roll the whole ship on logs over land for four miles to do that. And so Corinth made a lot of money doing that kind of stuff. So it was a huge commercial city and had a lot of money to it. It was a Roman colony, which meant it was, it was run by, actually run by the Roman Senate, administered the, the, uh, uh, the area of Acacia, and Roman, those were, it was a Roman colony there. So those guys had a lot of privileges as Roman citizens also. And it was very cosmopolitan. And uh, I know it's not, uh, we don't have Kidsville today, so we've got some younger ones here, but I will tell you, um, let me put this in words that might, might help. It was also known for the temp temple of Aphrodite. Does anybody remember what Aphrodite was the goddess of in Greek? 
the goddess of love. And so um, rumor has it, we don't know for sure it's true, but one Roman um, a historian of the time said that the temple of Aphrodite supposedly uh, employed about 10,000 what we would call today would be ladies of the evening, all right, shall I say, all right? That was one of the ways you worshiped there, was you just went and you met with one of the temple priestesses. Um, we might use another P word today to, to describe them, but uh, that was what it was known for. And so it was like a favorite port for every sailor around there. They could, they could see the temple of Aphrodite on the, on the Acrocorinth, the hill there, the highest spot of the thing. They could see it before they saw anything else from Corinth as they came over the horizon there. In fact, there was even a phrase, to live like a Corinthian, meant to live a very sensual and self-centered life, one of uh, abundance and exuberance, that kind of thing. If you want to kind of think of what it is, and I lived here for, for many years, Corinth was the San Francisco of its day. Anything goes. And that's what Paul was facing there all by himself. Now, I remember my very first trip to San Francisco. I was in college, and I was a part of a team that was exploring the missional needs in San Francisco as a college student. I was 20 years old, a junior in college, and um, our first day, full day in the city, we went down to Fisherman's Wharf to observe stuff, and I stopped a man to talk with him. And, uh, and when I did, he wheeled around and looked at me straight in the eye and said, everyone who stops me on the street wants one of three things, my money, my body, or my soul. Which one do you want? And as a college student, I was, just like, uh, 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 I was just totally taken back by that. But, that's, but that city was just so jaded and so, um, and so used to being approached by things that I, I, I had no idea how to even approach that. And I can see Paul feeling some of the same stuff there, that this was a different kind of city for Paul. And so is he, you know, especially different from Athens where he had just come. So I think that's how Corinth would have been for Paul. Now, you remember you said last week that the Jews, and I mentioned it earlier today, that the Jews were forced to leave Rome by the emperor Claudius. Well, Corinth became a haven for many of the Jews that were forced to leave. And so Priscilla and Aquila, uh, Aquila or Aquila, sometimes his name is said, went from Rome to Corinth. And as often as the case in a large city, people from a particular area would join together. That's why you've got Terry's where you can go to San Francisco and you can find Chinatown. You can find Japantown. You can go to, to L.A. and find Little Korea. Uh, you can go to, to New York and find uh, Little Italy. Those kinds of things. You can find areas where people tend to, to, to of one cultural background, tend to join together. And so in that, Paul met Priscilla and Aquila. And they were from Pontus, which, by the way, was a place when Paul was trying to, was getting those roadblocks in Asia, he was trying to get up to Bithynia, which was also the neighbor, was right there. Bithynia Pontus was the was the, the, the twin states up there. So it was somebody from one of the areas he was trying to reach before. So it finds out that, that these guys were tent makers, just like Paul. Now, it's conjecture about whether these guys were Christians before they met Paul, but my guess that it is, because we find out later that Priscilla and Aquila became leaders in the church, not only in Corinth, but in Ephesus later. And the, the Bible never mentions them becoming Christians, we just know that they became valued members in Paul's mission to, um, to, a, to Europe and to Asia. Now, why was it important that these guys came alongside Paul? Because sometimes uh, God has made us to be social creatures. Since 
COVID has happened, so many people I've run into that said, I don't need to go be a part of a church. I can be a part of church online. And again, if you're watching us online, we're so glad that you are. But we want to encourage you that we need to be together as a body. And it's because we are not built by God to be alone. That's not how he designed us. When I was in seminary, I, um, I went and did a, a couple of revivals up in Alaska, and I went with one of my best friends. And we went to two churches in Alaska, and I preached at the first church, and he led music. And at the second church, believe it or not, Hunter's not in here, okay? In the second church, I actually led music. Don't ask me to do that here. I love you guys too much, all right? But I led music in the second church, and he preached. But that second church was really tough. It was a tiny church, and it was a half-week revival on Easter weekend. The first night, we had the two of us, the pastor and his wife, and a family of three. That was it. So the seven of us in church. The next night, we had the two of us, the pastor and his wife, and a different family of four. So we had eight. So we felt like, hey, we, we grew some, all right? And then on Easter Sunday, we had both the families come. So we were like at like 10 people that day. And we felt, no, it was 11. We were like, oh man, it was like super excited. But that whole journey was just, just bizarre. Um, the pastor was Okay, some of you teenagers in here, you guys think I'm pretty old, right? Okay, I look like a teenager compared to this guy. I mean, he had a Mercedes that he drove that had over a million miles on it. I am sure he put every one of them on there himself, okay? He just looked like that. And, and they, he didn't know how to do some things. When we took up the offering one day, he didn't know how to take up the offering. He had to call a man up going like, I don't know how to do this. How to take up the offering. We used to, when we used to pass the plate and stuff like that. One night for dinner, they served us cold fish. I remember my friend who was preaching just like, he just mumbled to me like, geez, lady, is it too much to just pop it in the microwave for 30 seconds, you know? And it was that kind of thing. Plus, my friend who was there with me, who was preaching that, that part of the revival, was going through a lot of things. He had, had a girlfriend that he wasn't really sure if she was going to continue to be his girlfriend. Uh, he had a decision to make about going to a large church in L.A. He had called him. He'd have to leave seminary for a little bit and take a pause to go work with this other church that was going to be a great opportunity. So he was rustling through all those things. And we spent a lot of our free time helping him process those decisions. And one night as we're laying in our beds, we, we shared a room together. We had seven twin beds that we, it was, like being in, it was like being in college, all right? And so we're laying there, and he's kind of talking about these things and just real serious. And all of a sudden, he just starts bursting out laughing. I'm like, what is going on with you? And he just starts talking about all the stuff. He goes, all this stuff's going on. And he finally says, but it could be worse. And I'm like, how could it be worse? And he looked straight at me and said, I could be here without you. Man, that just blessed me to hear that. But that's the power of friends. He was saying, this stuff is really rough, but because I've got a friend working alongside me doing this work, I can handle it. Now, I know that was a long story, but I know enough to know that this is stories you're going to remember, not so much the, the application. So remember that, that, that having friends alongside you really can help you be able to handle more because that's the way God has designed us. And it's just, it's, well, okay, students, think about it for a moment, too. You ever gone into a new classroom and found out you didn't have any friends there? It's just miserable. You know, I've talked to students of, like, first day of school, I'm like, nobody I know is in my class. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I don't want to go to the school anymore. But then three weeks later, after you've made some friends, it's like, can't wait to get to school, not because I love school, because that's where I get to see my friends. It's that same kind of principle, just how God has made us there. And so that's why we need to be a part of a church. That's why when we talk to you 
about, about getting involved in other things in our church. It's not because we want to pump our numbers up or anything like that. It's because we want to be able to share life with you, to do life together, to be able to encourage each other and sharpen each other and grow each other because that's how God's designed us. And that's one of the ways we grow as believers, by having people who have invested in each other just like Priscilla and Aquila did with Paul. Now, our church has been, by the way, I just skipped an illustration here because that went so long, so I'm going to try to be on time today. Donna, yep, Donna set a timer there for me, so I'm making sure. Don't look back so you know if I'm on, over or not, all right? So just trust me, I can see a timer there. All right, so um, now let's take it back to our church and do some application here. I want you to know our church has been blessed with ministry partners over, uh, over the years, and we've been faithful ministry partners over the year. In fact, just this morning, Red and I were talking about one of our missionaries that actually came here and helped us do the woodworking here. And we're one of his ministry partners now, supplying that we send them checks every month to supply for their planting a church in a small area of Wyoming where they couldn't survive on their own, and we're helping them with that. And we try to be Aquila and Priscilla to some of these other ministers, ministries. I rely on other ministers to help me stay focused and to help me develop as your interim pastor. In fact, when the... Um, when the guy turned me down, turned us down, turned me down. Let's see, I made it personal. When the guy turned us down, said he wanted to withdraw my name for it, the first thing I did is I called a friend of mine who's been doing this interim pastor stuff for many more years than I had and said, wow, have I messed up? What am I doing here? And went to him for encouragement and instruction. Another believer who walked alongside me to help me with that. And I want to encourage, so even I do that. And so we all need to be doing it. You as maturing Christians need partners in ministry. Whether it be a ministry you do here at the church, today where a lot of us are going to participate in Cindy's ministry that she does to, um, to uh, the, 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 the unhoused, what's the, I don't know what's the proper term, you'll have to tell me later what the proper term is, Cindy, today, but for the, the unhoused, that sounds so much like unhinged to me, homeless, whatever the word, whatever, tell me what the word is later, okay, I'll get it right. Um, so we're going to come alongside as a ministry partner with her and try to help because and it becomes our ministry as well as hers at that point. And this is one of the reasons why I want you, encourage you guys to be a part of our Wednesday night small groups that we're having. And yes, it is not too late to be a part of that. You'll hear more about it in the announcements, I'm sure. But we've got six more weeks of that. Is that right? Yes, yeah, six more weeks of it. Plenty of time. I'm telling you, I feel closer to many of the guys that I appreciate some of the things I've heard some of the people share and the way they've encouraged me in and in a part of that small group. And so I really believe it is a key part of our growth as Christians to be able to share together, to know and to be known by other people. And if we want to know Jesus and make him known, as we've talked about as part of our mission, then we need to let people know us and be known. To, we need to know other people and be known by them to help us make Jesus known to others. And so I want to encourage you with that. The small groups, uh, I know we've got, other small, we've got other small groups that are going on too, and if you're a part of one of those, that's great. I'm not trying to, I'm glad for those small groups to keep going, but this one, because it's short-term, is a great way to plug in right now. And so it's not too late. Six more weeks on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, and you'll hear more about that in the announcements. It's not so much a commercial, but a great illustration for what I'm talking about here, about how God provides through friends and through connections, especially when you're feeling frustrated. But there's a second thing that God does. God provided for Paul, and he does for us through finances. Now you think, oh my gosh, here comes another, another sermon on giving. No, it's just one point, but it applies for today. 
first I want to talk about Paul worked as a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Paul had been a rabbi, and one of the schools of rabbinical thought in Judaism was that pastors or rabbis and teachers should never get a salary. Don't applaud, okay? Especially in our financial people, all right? There was a thing they should never take a salary. It doesn't mean they could never take gifts from people, but they were all expected to have their own job. There was a couple of reasons for that. It was so they wouldn't be totally reliant on the church and have to, and have to tickle people's ears. It would also be so they would learn the value of work themselves. And Paul had developed a career as a tent maker. Now, it's interesting that Paul did that because the part of where Paul was from, he was from the province of Cilicia. And Cilicia was known for a particular kind of goat hair there that made really fine tents. In fact, it was called Cilicium was the name of it. It was named after the region there. So it was very highly valued um, uh, cloth that they made out of these hairs. And so Paul knew how to make that kind of stuff. He'd been trained in that area, and Priscilla and Aquila did. So they probably, he may have lived with them, because it would be typical for a shop owner at that point to be like what you might see in San Francisco, be a store on the bottom floor, and they would live on an upper floor above it, above the storefront, where they would do their work together. So Paul worked with them as, 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 a, um, as a good Pharisee, he had been, and a good leader, he took up tent making. But when his friends Silas and Timothy came down from, Mas- from, from Berea, from Macedonia, um, in verse 5, it says Paul quit working as a tent maker and devoted himself full-time to the preaching of the gospel. So he wasn't just preaching on the Sabbath day in the, in the synagogue, but now he was able free to go engage with the people throughout the, throughout the town there, and the, not on, just on the Sabbath day. Um, he was able to do this because Silas and Timothy probably be brought by a financial gift from the church in Philippi. In fact, if you look at Philippians 4.15, Paul says to the Philippians, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia to come down to Corinth, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. So Paul was thanking the Philippian church for being a part. So because of gifts from the Philippian church, just like we send gifts to our missionary partners, they were able to spend more time doing the work of ministry and not just trying to earn a living. Now, this kind of part-time, bivocational pastor thing, that's not what's considered normative today. But there's, that's still the way many pastors survive. And we need to honor that. I have a friend in Madeira who, uh, uh, James, you want to guess what his job is besides being a pastor? He's a bus driver. He drives a school bus for Madeira Unified. So that's a great job. So yes, James, as a, as a school bus driver, God might be also calling you into ministry at some point. So just kind of keep that. Don't want to scare you, Chong, but that's always a possibility, all right? I've known several guys that said bus driving was a great career because they worked in the morning, they worked in the afternoon, and they had the, the middle in between there to get all kinds of ministry stuff done that they needed to do. So again, not trying to, I'm just joking with you, okay? All right, that's between you and God, what he calls you to, all right? Uh, I have another, uh, the, the associate pastor at Rise Church here in Fresno was also the owner of the Mug Coffee Shop. So when I go to the Mug Coffee Shop, I'm helping support the ministry at Rise Church because that's where the the, the pastor, the associate pastor there is. And even here, you guys may know, I'm not full-time with you guys. I'm considered three-fifths time. Now, all the other churches I've worked with as an interim, I've been full-time. But here in Fresno, because I do substitute teaching, when I talked with the board about coming on as your interim pastor, I said, you know what? I could do this for less than a full-time salary because I can substitute two or three days a week. 
And they said, let's pray about it. Yes, absolutely, sure. Less money? No, no problem. Um, so so there, is, there is honor to somebody who is being a bivocational pastor. There is a place for that. There is a need for that at certain times. But it's not always the, the most healthy thing for a church or the best thing for a church, okay? And there's a downside to it because I actually wind up teaching. I had a teacher ask me to teach Thursday and Friday this week. Hunter didn't get my sermon notes until 1.30 yesterday, all right? So pray for Hunter on days when I teach maybe more than I should that, you know, he wants them by Thursday night. I was only a day and a half late, so Hunter's been so gracious. He's never complained harshly to me, all right? And I appreciate that. I should get them to you earlier, Hunter, so I'm sorry. So there are some downsides to that. Now, as we look for a permanent pastor, we want to provide for him so that he can work full-time and have enough money to provide for his family. So there is nothing wrong with someone serving part-time, but it's not what every church needs, and it's not what we need right now. So we're, we're working, we're doing, we're, we've talked with the board, we're going to try to provide uh, a, a salary for the pastor that's what we can afford, but, uh, but so that he won't have to work full-time to do that. So um, now I want to say at the same time, though, if, a, um, if you've got a pastor on staff, and they've got a chance in their free time to do a side gig, to do some writing, to go uh, uh, consult or speak at another church. You should not begrudge them that. That's, that's okay for them to do also, as long as they're doing the work that we provide for them to do. But the main thing is God provides for finances. Let's get back to the scripture here. That's a little side, get, a side, a side uh, point about where we are right now as a church. So let me say this, that I would be remiss to say for us that providing for our staff is a major portion of our tithes and offerings and we say wow that shouldn't be that way is it no for most growing churches it is usually about 50 percent sometimes it can be as low as 40 sometimes it can be as high as 60 but about 50 percent is a good target place where that's that about 50 percent of your budget goes to salaries you'll find that's way that's way less than probably most other businesses but that is one of the things that you do. So if you look at our budget, you say like, wow, why are we doing that much? Um, but it sounds like a lot, but I want to promise you, and I've done the studies on this, very, very few pastors have a salary that's in line with what leaders and occupa other occupations have, especially people that have the same level of experience, the same level of education, the same level of skill, and the same level of responsibility. And your pastor won't get the same amount of money he would get if he was working for, you know, I have a friend that has accounting for, for Ross, you know, where you get everything cheap. He makes a good salary, okay? And he's like four levels down. That's Ross's big organization, but he makes a good salary. Way messy. We'd never be able to pay a pastor. So I'm just saying, when you look at that and say 50% of our budget is going to go to our staff, don't freak out over that. That's just normal, and that is how God allows churches to continue doing the work. So, just encouraging with that, that our giving, and I tithe through this church just like we ask you to, is how we help move the ministry forward together. Now, I don't want to dwell on that much, so let's move right to the third one. We said God provides through friends, God provides through finances, but God also provides sometimes through friction. It does happen sometimes. So let's talk about this. As Paul is, starts preaching full-time in verse 5, you'll find that in verse 6, the very next verse, some problems start happening. 
It says people start blaspheming. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily like we think today, cursing God or whatever. It just is a generic word for disagreeing and fighting about what Paul was saying about Jesus. Now, this didn't happen until Paul could start doing this full time. In other words, when he was just focusing on the synagogues on the Sabbath day, it wasn't, it wasn't getting the word out to people that needed to hear it. And I want to tell you that if a church is not having people react ne- negatively to what it's doing, then we're probably not doing what we ought to be doing. I was listening just this week to a, to a wiser minister that, that, than I who was talking about um, dealing with churches that were dealing with uh, people that were transsexual, people that had, uh, were, um, um, were, had gen- uh, I'm going to say gender dysphoria, that's what we would call it, but, but perceived themselves as being a different gender. And he said to them, said, if your church is not dealing with that, then that means you're not ministering to people who, have, who, who are dealing with that. And so you're trying to push that off on some other church. So I want to tell you that when we have problems in our church, that's a good thing. Because that means we're reaching people who are struggling with things. And how are we going to help people that are struggling with an addiction, struggling with a problem, struggling with their faith, if we're not bringing them in and drawing them and engaging with them? In other words, we're not, people, we're not dealing with people in this congregation right here, or you're not engaging with them through the week that are saying, I'm not sure if I buy this about Jesus, or I don't, I don't really know about if I want to give God this area of my life. If we're not engaging with those people, then we're not ministering to those people. So I just want to encourage you that that's what we want to be doing as a church, is reaching out to those people and dealing with them and helping them. Because when that happened, then people started believing more in the church. So let's go back and look at what it says in the scripture there. We're not going to put it on the screen, but I want to go back to look at the scripture there. It says that, that verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, and Paul began preaching the word and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes, said, I'm going to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man who lived next door to the synagogue. Can you imagine how humiliating that was for the people in the synagogue there? That Paul said, basically, you're not following me. You know what? I'm going to go set up shop right next door. I'm going to set up shop next door. And every Sabbath day, when the Jewish people came to the synagogue to look, they saw all the people gathered over there, because at that point they still worshipped on the Sabbath too. Um, so th- they went over there and saw all the people that they, were, that they were reaching at this point. And it says here, if you look at this passage again, it says he went next door to, the, to, the, um, to Titius Justus, and he, and he led to the Lord the Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Wow, what would that be like, man? Somebody okay, again, I'm trying not to pick, I don't want to pick on any group at this point. So just in your mind, pick a non-Christian, could be a cult, could be another religion or whatever, just envision that in your mind, I'm not, because we're getting recorded again, so I don't want to say, but pick one in your mind, and imagine what it'd be like if we built a church right next to the place where they worshiped, and we got their pastor, their preacher, their leader, whatever, and he became a follower of Jesus. Man, what would they be thinking about us at that point? Some would be thinking, those guys are crazy, they're evil, they're just wrong. Some would be thinking, there might be something to what they're, what they're doing. So Crispus became a follower of Jesus, and it says after that that many Corinthians heard and believed. So when Paul was able to start working full-time, God started doing things 
in their lives, okay? So think about that. Just think you're, you're the, the, the cult or, the, or the, the non-Christian religion that frustrates you the most. Imagine their leader switching to Team Jesus because of our ministry. All right, and how do we know that happened for sure? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 1.14, where Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. That he actually got to baptize. And man, we're on, we're on live stream now. We, we could baptize the, you know, the leader of whatever group you're thinking of here at this point. What would that do right there? But that's, it's because of the friction that happened that people came to believe in Jesus. And more and more Corinthians believed in, in verse 8. It was so encouraging that Paul decided to spend a year and a half with them. Now hopefully I'm going to be out of here. By the way, next Sunday will be a year I've been with you. We're going to try to make sure I'm out of here before a year and a half, okay? But, um, but Paul spent a year and a half with these guys building up this young church. And to our knowledge, that was the longest he spent with any church up to that point. Now if I want to skip down to verse 17, we're going to add one more little bit of friction there. Uh, we're going to skip part of this just for, just for the matter of time. But um, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians opens with these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother. If you look back in verse 17, you'll find out that when Crispus left as the leader of the synagogue, a new guy stepped up named Sosthenes, verse 17. And they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. So it's like, so the vice president of the synagogue stepped up, became a Christian too. All right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Just to have, just say, you know, I mean, I, I, would, I would have this tendency to get cocky even. I might go like, you know what? Okay? You got it? Who's your next president? Come on, bring him on. Bring him on. We're ready. Bring up another president. We're just ready for anybody there. All right? I could see Paul being that kind of thing there because, because of, through the friction, these kinds of things happened and people became believers more and more you know what faith in christ shines in the face of friction and persecution we saw that in acts chapter 5 earlier this year where the christians rejoiced that they were worthy of suffering for the name of jesus and there's a, a christian historian by the name of richard stark who wrote a book called the triumph of christianity how the jesus movement became the world's largest religion and he writes in the fourth century in the roman world at that point there was a new Roman emperor, Julian, who tried to, by this time Christianity had become the, the major religion of the Roman Empire. The Roman emperor, Julian, attempted to restore paganism. And he encouraged the pagan priesthood to, com to compete with the Christian charities. And in a letter to the high priest of Galatia, which is where Paul wind up doing a lot of preaching, the emperor said to this, said, it's, <laughs> it's horrible that the imp impious he called them impious, meaning they weren't very religious. These impious Galileans, he wouldn't even call them Christians, but Jesus from Galilee, so that's what we call them. That in addition to our own people that have need, uh, to, excuse me, in addition to their own people that have need, they support our poor and are giving aid to our people. The Christians were known for being the people who reached out and helped, even when they were being persecuted by their government. So the government said, you know what? we got to stop these Christians because they're ministering in ways that we're not able to do so. Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, right now, is anybody really happy with any level of government right now? No, not in general. Happy with any level of government. I'm glad you're happy, all right? That's, that's cool, but happy with any level of government right now? Probably not. What would happen if the Christians really got to the point where 
we made such a difference in our world that we were known that, that, the, that the Secretary of Health and Human Services was trying to figure out how to deal with homelessness and poverty and stuff and said, you know what, the Christians get it. Let's just do what they're doing. Wouldn't that be amazing? But not, wouldn't that be how we would change our government? Not complaining about it, but just showing them a better way to say, hey, you know what, we've got frictions. You try to do things that are shutting us down. You try to do things that restrict us, whatever. We're going to show you how to do it right. We're going to show you how to love people. That's why we partner things like the Fresno Mission and Rescue the Children and, and things like that that we do to help show that Christians can do it in a good way. Now, I'm not saying our government's not doing it. I'm not, it's not being critical of government right now. I'm just saying that's how we help make a difference by doing what we need to do, responding to the friction and getting out and ministering together. I think about when COVID hit. Many churches, including the one I was serving in at the time, missed an opportunity. So many churches turtled up, afraid of the virus, or just railed against the government for trying to shut us down, and this is why we need to change the government, stuff like that. But what if the churches just in mass could just preach the message of care and concern and hope to the world and not just to ourselves? Now, I've mentioned many times in our church that we don't have any major conflicts or friction. So if you're a guest here with us today, I'm not talking about this because we've got a lot of friction and stuff, but I'm saying that we've just got, that, that we don't have a lot of major friction right now. We've got, we aren't conflict-free. Any growing active church is going to have conflict, but we don't have conflicts that cause problems. Now, we've had some people leave because they didn't like the current direction of our church, and that's normal. And thankfully, these people have left without trying to create problems. There's not been many, a few, a handful. On the other hand, we've had many new people get involved with our church. We're growing slowly, but we are growing. But we have had conflicts in the past. And I just want to encourage you that it happens. That's one of the things I've said over and over about this church. We all know that we are broken people living in a fallen world. And we all need Jesus. The real problem happens when people focus on the problems of the past and get stuck there. And I can see church where we are a stronger, healthier church from what you told me it was back then. We may not be as many people now in the post-COVID era. That may change. It may not. I don't know. But I believe we're healthier and stronger. I can see those kinds of things. And I don't have time to mention them all right now, but we can talk, you can talk about them personally later if you want to. But I'm going to say friction is one of the ways that new people have stepped up in leadership in our church. And I can see Christ working in the lives of many people here. So I am thankful for some of the friction that we've had in the past. Just as I'm thankful for the finances that you guys have brought in. Just as I'm thankful for the friends that many of you have become. And that is how God continues to work in our lives. Now, um, yes, since I am, oh, oh my goodness. All right, again, you guys aren't listening fast enough. So let's just kind of, so much more we could say, but let's just get to, to your response. What does it mean for you guys? First, I want to encourage you, get connected with others in our church family. I know I've said this over and over, but for each one of you, find ways, how can we be better connected in our church? I'm not saying you have to be here every time the doors are open. I'm not saying you have to get on the rotation for playing keys or working in Kidsville or whatever like that. I'm just saying find the place where God wants you to connect better with our church, to have a solid, better connection. Again, students, that applies for you guys too. There's a place for you. We have many students serving in our church, and I'd love for you guys to be a part 
even kids, ways you guys could be a part also. Part, as I said, get involved with a small group. And again, Wednesday night is a good place to start because it's short, it's short term, and there's a lot of people there. So you've got a lot of people to choose from to connect with. Uh, invite someone to lunch after church. I bet we've had guests in here that have never had anybody invite them to lunch. And so that might be the thing to do. Or if that's not you, connect with them some other way. Reach out to new people. And sometimes recognize it may take more than one invitation sometimes to reach out to people. Second, reevaluate your giving. I would never badger anybody in our church to giving. But finances are a part of our ministry. And I just want to encourage you to make sure that what you are giving is what God wants you to be giving. If you yield your whole life to him, then God will ask for what he wants. And he will take care of you with the rest. So our giving is not just supporting the ministry. It's a part of our yielding our lives to him. To say, God, you take what you want because it all belongs to you. Everything I have came from, came from you, Lord. And so you take what you want and I will trust you with the rest. And then third, trust God to guide us through conflicts and friction. As I said, we don't have a lot right now. But we have had some in the past and we will have some in the future. In fact, the more people add, the more problems we're going to have because everybody brings their own stuff, their own problems with them. But I want to encourage you this, that God will provide for us just like he did for Paul. And he will provide for us not just despite our problems, but often God will su supply and help us through our problems. He's shown it in the past. He'll do it for us in the future. No matter how frustrated you may be with your life, with your church, with your family, God knows and he will provide. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful again for your word, for how you showed yourself faithful to Paul and the early church, how you've shown yourself faithful to generation upon generation since then. And Lord, today, as we, um, as we get ready to depart this place, some to serve out at the park, some to serve in their families, some to rest and re restore, but as we depart this place, Father, help us go out in faith, knowing that you will provide for us. You have provided for us. And that you are guiding each of us individually and our church to be the people you've called us to be and to be more like your son, Jesus. It's because of our faith and our trust in him that we pray. Amen.